0: Blessings, and welcome to the Ecclesia Podcast, a show dedicated to bringing insight on worship renewal throughout the entire Christian faith. I am your host, Dr. Kevin Myers, and each week I will be joined by Dr. Jim Hart and other special guests as we enter into discussion on the various topics of Christian worship and how to better worship together as the unified body of Christ. This podcast is sponsored and hosted by the Robert E. Weber Institute for Worship Studies, an institution focused solely on worship education. The mission of IWS is to form servant leaders in Christian worship renewal and education through graduate academic praxis grounded in biblical, historical, theological, cultural, and missiological reflection in community. We hope that you will join us in this mission of Worship Renewal so that we may all come to a more unified understanding of our triune God and lead others into his rightful worship. All right. How's it going, Jim? It's good to see you. I know that it's way warmer where you are. It's it's snowy, a little snowy up here, but how's everything down in Florida?
1: It's uh, It's pretty good down here, warmer than where you are. But I will say this, it's been colder here than normal, so... Yeah, you know, for us, cold and normal is is like below seventy.
0: <laughs> well, you you poor guy,
1: <laughs> you poor guy. Uh, when it when it, when it gets to be sixty nine, we bring out the earmuffs, you know. Kind of. <laughs> oh my god! But, no, it's actually been down in the in the mid forties at some in some. I, uh, I mean, someplace. there's a
0: reason. There's a reason Tom Brady left the Patriots to go play in Tampa Bay. You know, his, <laughs> that's true. His advanced athletic age is good in the warm weather.
1: But you know, Of course, Tampa Bay is now called Champa Bay. Champa Bay. They, they, they've, they've won two or three different national championships in the last yeah. uh, in the last 12 months. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> so the, the last episode that uh, we put out was kind of an introduction really to, we were talking about the big picture of worship and uh, we talked a lot about transcendence and imminence and this, the beautiful idea of what is the the big picture look like when we're actually approaching this? Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of talk about the first pillar, what IWS describes and Bob Weber describes, is the first pillar of the fourfold order of worship, which would be the gathering rite. And you know what, Jim, you and I have talked about this before, and uh, I think it's so incredible, and it's a great place, I think, for us to start, that the gathering doesn't begin when we enter the church. It begins before that.
1: That's exactly right. Before we get to that, Kevin, why don't you tell us what the four pillars are of, oh uh, gosh, so this the, is, this, the, the, are you quizzing
0: me here? You, uh, it's uh, <laughs> so the four <laughs> pillars would be, <laughs> yeah, graduate. If you don't answer this correctly, we're gonna hit some, <laughs> I think your back. Yeah, you're a graduate too, and the president gather, word, table, and sending would be those four pillars. You get an A for the day. There we go. <laughs> yeah, well done. Well done. <laughs> so you're right. The gathering
1: does not take place just when we walk into the building, right? It, it's the, it starts with the decision to actually come and attend worship. I found this great quote from the famous liturgical theologian of the Orthodox Church, Alexander Schmemann. Mm-hmm. This, is in, this is from the, his book, For the Life of the World. The journey begins when Christians leave their homes and beds on their way to constitute the church, or to be more exact, to be transformed into the Church of God isn't that beautiful? that is beautiful Alexander Schmeyman. yeah, so yes that that decision to to attend worship and you know during the pandemic that's been it's been a pretty iffy thing, right? People have gotten used to sitting at home in their jammies and slippers and yeah. and listening to church online, yeah, and now that churches have opened beginning to open up more, there is a reluctance to actually leave the comfort of their homes and to come into um, the gathering together of God's people. But it's it's essential. We're an incarnational faith. We need to be seeing each other face-to-face face because the church, the, the gathered church, is the ongoing incarnation of Christ in the world.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, this idea of... Um... Kind of that that calling to go to worship is the the first step and answering that call. I mean, in worship, we always find the call and response is such a big thing. Revelation and response is, is just big in our faith in general. So the idea that we feel the call to go physically to the building, to be with the body inside of the building is such an important thing. Because I think if there's one thing we missed, I remember when the pandemic it started right around Holy Week when they were, mm-hmm. you know, shutting things down. And I remember our pastor in Denver had said, you know, well, you, you can come in and play music because we're going to record it. And then you're allowed, you can bring your wife. She's allowed to come. And I remember Kristen telling me, I feel so guilty because I'm coming and I get to be there. And it was mm-hmm. just the saddest and emptiest feeling on an Easter Sunday to be up in the choir loft and look out over an empty church when we are celebrating the biggest... Feast of the year, the biggest moment in our, in our life, in our history. And so that I think painted the picture even more how important it is that one, we've made that decision to go and that we're gathering together and that we're unified together. Cause it's, it's just different if we're all spread out across watching it online, it's just not the same.
1: You know, that may have been the first time in history that's ever happened, uh, even yeah. during the Black Plague. But of course, people didn't understand contagion as well yeah. in the, during the Black Plague, but even then they kept meeting together. So yeah. this may have been the first time that a, an event of this sort that we had in this pandemic kept people actually from gathering and meeting together. So the, the very essence of what it means to be the church, the church, the Greek word for church is ecclesia or ecclesia. So what does that, that very word mean? It means to be called called ek out of so the 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 church are those who have been called out well called out of what called out of the world right right it's not this just it's not the physical world so much as it is the world of 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 disintegration the world systems the cultures of the world the sin of the world the destruction the violence and the death of the world But then you're also called into—what are you called into? Well, you're called into the kingdom of God with Christ as the king, right? The kingdom of love, joy, peace, reintegration, forgiveness, righteousness, life. So we're called out of the world, called into the church. And that physical act of going, gathering together is— is a is a visceral symbol of the fact that we've been called out of the world and called into the kingdom of Christ.
0: Absolutely, and I think you know this again this idea of being called out is it's so I like how you said that it's a visceral thing, right? When we all gather together because when you take a look at this it's a really beautiful sign of one the church's unity. And then also the fact that when we are coming to worship, we're unifying with the heavenly kingdom. You know, Mm. we talked about this in our last podcast with the transcendence of worship and how we are worshiping together, not just as the earthly body, but the whole body, all risen, the whole heavenly realm all together, sharing in worship. So being called out from the world has an even bigger meaning when you look at it from we are engaging with the other outside of the world.
1: Mm precursors of the body of Christ in the the Garden of Eden. We see it in the the Ark of Noah, and we see it in the temple. All three of those places were places of calling, calling out of the world into the kingdom of God to then be sent back out into the world. In all three cases, right? Right. The, The idea of the Garden of Eden was to Edenize creation. The idea of Noah's Ark was to preserve God's created order so that the life could be once again let out into the world once the ark had landed. Same thing with the temple. You're called out of the world to be Israelized into the, right. into, the, into into God's image and then sent back out to Israelize the world. I think one of the those three symbols, one of the ones that we see that is remaining, I think, in terms of understanding the church is Noah's ark. Noah's ark was, of course, a boat, right? And there were how many people saved in Noah's ark? There were eight people that were in Noah's right. ark, right? So even now to this day, we call the area where the congregation sits in a church, we call it the nave, which comes from the Latin word novice, which means ship. So we're all called into a ship to, right. be, to be saved from the world. We're saved from, from the, the destruction of the world around us, saved into the kingdom of God. But then the ark of the, of the church lands and the, and the doors open and the life of the world the Life of the truth goes out into the world to right. to christify all of all of creation. I think it's so cool to see some of the old cathedrals with the flying buttresses that actually yeah. look like ships. I, t- I took a picture on this on the Seine of of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Because uh, it's on an island in the middle of the of the river, right? And so when right. you look at the boat from the from the side of the of the apse, it looks like I mean, look at the, look at the church. I'm sorry, it looks like a boat
0: running right. down right. this grand
1: right. river with these giant oars off the side of these flying buttresses. It's really a cool image. But that's what we are. We're we're called together with the global church and the eschatological church as well, right? They're those who've gone on before us and those who are going to be ahead of us to be reconciled to God, to each other, and then to be sent back into the world with the love of God, to love the world back to God.
0: And I love the, that idea of being reconciled to God and each other, right? I think we lose track of that, mm. especially during the moments where we couldn't gather together. Then, mm. you know, our reconciliation to God has to also come after we've reconciled with one another. You know, a few weeks ago, at church, we had the the reading of the Shema, the, the great prayer, the mm-hmm. great Hebrew prayer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All of this coincides with how we worship, right? It all stems from that love that we have for God, but it must be an ecclesial love. It has to be together. So it also, of course, ties in with the name of this podcast, <laughs> so. Right,
1: right, and because we're going to talk about the confession in just a minute, but the confession—every right. sin that we commit—is not just against God; it's against God and our brother always. Exactly. So reconciliation always has to involve both being reconciled to God and being reconciled to our to our brother and sister.
0: What you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. I mean, it's pretty spelled out. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Bob Weber used
1: to, used to use the imagery of a of a dinner party or hosting a hosting friends for dinner as a protocol of 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 the four elements of the of worship of the gathering the word table and sending. He said when you walk into someone's house you wouldn't go right to the dining room table and start eating because you would be rude. You start off by by having a, almost like a a gathering right, right? You say hello" yep. or shake hands, perhaps hug some necks, maybe maybe give a friendly kiss. and then you sit down and and you you chat for a while and catch up on on what's going on in your lives, and then you move to the table, and the table is a place where that our relationships are are strengthened and and, and in some ways restored. And then we and then we we leave. We don't just walk out the door. We we have we have a parting, ascending sort of ritual we go through when we're at somebody's house. So he he equated worship to that same kind of a dinner party idea, which I think yeah. is a really good good thing to to remember. And, that, and that's why the gathering's important. We don't we don't gather without proper protocols, right? Because we are we are gathering with the God of the universe.
0: Well, and <laughs> and as you as you go forward with that, Jim, I think something that so many people take for granted is that whole idea of gathering. And I I love that Bob Weber uses that idea of you're not just running to the table and, and skipping, you're skipping over some parts here. And the fact that it's more than just an opening song and a procession and a, like there are so many little theological and biblical truths laced throughout this that make it its own right and not just a thing that we do to get to the next thing. It's not a means to an end. It's part of it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So at IWS we we start with prelude as people are being gathered in, into the into the the uh, worship space, right? And then there's usually opening comments that I make. They're to welcome our students, to welcome our alumni, to welcome our donors, to welcome host families, to welcome the host church, faculty, board members, administrators who are there, and and to, uh, to just give them a warm welcome into the into into the. And that's followed usually by a choral introit that our faculty member Dan Sharp together and conducts and that's usually as just is it like a call to worship uh, a call for people to come in to god's presence and then we have the opening which
0: is just traveling music right for the people to come down the aisle right kevin it is and you know what it's so funny what if it's just traveling <laughs> music why are we doing all this stuff before it <laughs> yeah <Right>.
1: yeah oh. <laughs> yeah so there there's a, there's a great mystery about singing together it's not just traveling music obviously um but it, it is a rite of entrance. It's a it's we we come into God's presence with singing. We see that throughout the Psalms, we approach yep. God's God's presence with singing. All the Psalms of ascent were ascent into God's presence, right? So this is a song that we that we sing as we come into God's presence. And there's a but the the, the great mystery behind it is I've heard it said this way: If you put together nine mediocre baseball players on a baseball team, you have a really mediocre, maybe less than mediocre baseball team. You put nine mediocre singers together and you've got something of great beauty. Why is that? <laughs> There's a Trinitarian mystery about that. I, I like the way Jeremy Begbie talks about the, the interaction of the, of the chords in, uh, in harmonic resonance, how that harmonic resonance is a, is a type of an icon of the triune God. There are individual notes, but the notes together create a whole... Different kind of presence than each note individually by themselves, so we have that kind of harmonic singing that takes place uh, as as people enter into God's presence. And 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 by the way, the human voice is is the greatest instrument that God ever created. So having human voices sing. I low man. Some organists would disagree with you. Yeah, well, they, well, they're wrong.
0: <laughs> so you and I are both instrumentalists, right? You're you're a brass player and organist. I'm a, yeah, but I'm not going to stand up and say the trombone is the. I can't remember which orchestral conductor actually. I think it was Mahler actually and said the trombone is the voice of God. So I mean, <laughs> take it for what it's worth. But yes, you're you're absolutely right. Singing and that idea of because it's as much of our inward expression as it could possibly be because we're using our body as the instrument and the fact that we're able to share in that is is something greater than, you know, anything else, especially together. And I think, Jim, I've, I've told you about this. You know, one of my first impressions at IWS that really stood out to me and made me go, oh, I'm in the right place, was that the congregation, while not every IWS student has a music background, the whole congregation sang in parts if they knew them. And a lot of them did. And it was just yeah. this idea of like, because from my background, that's just not a thing. It's, And I wish it was. And maybe one day it will be. But, you know, you go into so many other traditions uh, of the church and in, in their buildings, they'll have the four-part hymnal. And people are singing as a full choir with another choir leading them. So it's just this big cacophony of beauty <laughs> of music mm-hmm. here. So I think that that all plays into it. And that's, I think, also what makes IWS a special place to worship.
1: The great composer William Byrd once said, "There is not any music of instruments whatsoever comparable to that which is made of the voices of men." And don't read that in the gender uh, right, masculine; that right. the gender neutral. But uh, yeah, right. the, when, when the voices of, of, of humanity come together, there's yeah. nothing as beautiful as that. So we we have this entrance hymn after which we invoke the triune God. And we start off with, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The congregation responds, amen. Amen. Why do we start with the the name of the triune God? Well, we're not gathering in our name. We're not gathering in the name of Kevin Myers or Jim Hart. I mean, how boring would that be?
0: Hey speak like for your oh, No, absolutely. <laughs> we are gathering
1: in the name of the God of the universe who created everything that is, right? And therefore, therefore we are invoking the mysterious triune God to 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 be manifested among us. So we gather in his name, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then we go right into a time of of confession, and this is a time when we acknowledge our sins and to, so prepare ourselves to celebrate the great mysteries. What are the great mysteries? Well, the great mysteries are the mystery of the word, the word spoken and and proclaimed, and the great mystery of the Eucharist. Those are the mysteries that we that we proclaim. In fact, uh, we'll we'll talk about this uh, in a later podcast. But some some traditions call the the preacher or the homilist they call him the mystagogue because he is proclaiming the mysteries of the faith to God's people, apostolically proclaiming that. So we start off by saying, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And that's a confession that we may not recognize any specific sins that we have done, but we can we can confess that on, on our behalfs, on our behalf, and on behalf of those who are with us also. Right. It's it's a corporate confession. So we're confessing on behalf of our fellow humanity.
0: Right. And, and I that, mean it's that yeah. It's that ecclesial bond that I think really can lift us all up when we're in that moment because Again, it's something that I think is overlooked because we'll say it each Sunday, right? We say this confession each Sunday, but more and more when we read those words that we're proclaiming and we're looking around and we're realizing, oh, we are a group together lifting each other up. It's not like we're just throwing on one Band-Aid. We're like here as crutches for each other to help bring each other closer to the kingdom. So it's a really right. beautiful way to do that in a corporate sense.
1: And then we have this uh, great try and cry for mercy we the the celebrant says lord have mercy and people respond lord have mercy christ have mercy christ have mercy lord have mercy lord have mercies it's almost almost a stuttering or a stammering that takes place here because we are so much in need of god's mercy at all times so that's our call for for mercy and then the and then the 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 presider the, the 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 celebrant says May God, may Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all your sins, and bring you to eternal life. So they proclaim an absolution to the to those who are gathered. Right. Let me go right into the the first and great act of praise, the Gloria. Now, at IWS, we we have a version of the Gloria that we use that is not the exact words of the Gloria, the, but it's it is it gets at all the major points, all the right <laughs> the theological points of the Gloria. Um, The words of the Gloria are glory in the highest, and on—let me try it again—glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to the people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. O, O God, heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. One of the great things about this hymn of praise, it's based in Scripture, it's based in Luke chapter 2, right? right. But it, it's Trinitarian, so it, it invokes... It praises God, it praises the Lord
0: Jesus Christ, and it praises the Holy Spirit. Right. Great work of praise. Absolutely. And I think, again, when we put this in that corporate sense, what a beautiful thing to come right into out of a confession. I mean, we have just reached into the deepest part of our souls where we find the darkness that has been shrouding us from our relationship with God, and now coming out of that absolution, we are so grateful for the love and mercy of God that we sing this ultimate hymn of glory and praise to him. So again, just this continuation of the body of Christ lifting each other up throughout this entire experience of worship. I think that that's something that's, again, so overlooked because we can always individualize that I'm worshiping. It's my worship to God right now, but it's not. It's total. It's not just one. He doesn't say when one person's there, it says, where two or more are gathered, I am in their midst, in, in that great mystery. So yeah, the glory in the God, glory to God in the highest is such a beautiful thing. And one of the things musically, uh, Jim, I know uh, we've talked about in the past is, you know, there are two ways almost of singing this, right? There's a through composed way, and there's a way with refrains. And I think both have their place. And I know, you know, so a through composed would basically be how you just read it there, straight through the prayer. And then, of course, the one with refrains, we sing this glory to God again. We restate it, and then we go back into another portion of another verse of it, and then we restate it again. So I think there's beauty in both ways of, one, looking at it as, here's this full prayer that we're starting from start to finish, and then this other where we are really emphasizing the glory to God. And I know Vinny's setting does that, and it's very beautiful. Right. So you mentioned
1: Vinny. Vinny is a graduate of IWS, both of the master's and the doctoral program, and now is a professor at North Central University. And he's written settings of all the major parts of the, of the Eucharistic celebration. And the, the first one we do to IWS is, is Vinny's Gloria, which is right. a great setting of the Gloria and it's very, very engaging.
0: Just a beautiful setting. I've always been a fan of it. And, you know, Vinny, if you're listening to this, if we can get together and make <laughs> that version with the other translation, I will use it all the time. <laughs> it's so good. He's yeah.
1: also an incredible vocalist. Yeah. And, and an incredible writer. Yeah. So thank you. And good keyboard you know, player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. i say. So, and you're right that, that, that great act of praise coming out of the confession, once we, once we feel the weight of, of the burden of our sin being released and absolved, then going into that act of praise is, is a, is the perfect way of, of, of coming out of confession. So, um, Thanks be to God for that. Then, following the collect, we go into what's called the. I mean, following the glory, we go into what's called the collect of the day, and a collect uh, is a prayer that does three things: it praises God for His attributes, it remembers His great works in, mystery, in, in history, and asks God to then do it again. So, like for example, the one we use for for this coming session in January, it's going to be on the eve of the Epiphany. So this is what will happen. The leader will say, the Lord be with you, and the congregation will respond and also with you. And then the leader will say, oh God, by the leading of a star, you manifested your only son to the peoples of the earth. Lead us who know you now by faith to your presence, where we may see your glory face to face through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now now and forever. I love the colics. I do too. The colics really set the tone for, for the rest of the service. So this starts off, Oh God. So that is, that is a praising God for his attribute. Oh God implies something. It's not something you, you do when you hit your thumb with a hammer, right? That's a whole different right. kind right. of a thing. Oh God implies that God actually listens to us as we listen to him. There's a relationship. So it implies a, a relationship. Uh, this goes back to Karl Barth and his idea that the uniqueness of the Judeo Christian God is Deus Dixit. God speaks. God speaks. So, oh God, is that idea that God is actually listening to us as he also then speaks to us and we respond to him. Then, by the leading of the star, you manifested your only son to the peoples of the earth. That's the great work he did in history. He, he, The star led Gentiles and Jews to Jesus as He was as He was born into the world. And it also also gave a prophetic a message that the entirety of creation was getting realigned now with the with the coming of the Messiah to the earth. Then it then it asks for something to for God to do now. Lead us who know you now by faith to your presence, where we may see your glory face to face. And then the following doxology, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Now, you mentioned in one of the uh, earlier podcasts that in the Catholic world, they've dropped the word one from God. So, the doxology now would be through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, God, now and forever. What's the difference? There's a huge difference. And... Both are legitimate. Both are correct, right? Right. right. One, one God implies the unity of the triune God. But dropping the one, as the ancient colleagues did, was to emphasize the the divinity of Christ, when, which had been undermined by Arianism in the early church. So, the Christological thing, for sure. It's a Christological thing, right. And so it's saying that Jesus himself is God. He's also fully human, but he, he right. is God. Don't forget, he is God. <laughs> right. So, so that's a difference in, in the colics, in the Catholic world and in the Protestant world.
0: All, through all of these colics, and I think, again, what sets them apart from other prayers of the church is that doxology at the end. Again, I think it's just something that we say so much that we we take it for granted almost. But this idea of saying this is all done in the name of all the the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all together, that one God, and saying that you know nothing that we do can be done without it. Right. That, you know, what you've done for us and what we are asking you to do, we know we cannot be the provider of. We we know we have to rely on. You. And right. so just always finishing that and saying that again, ecclesially together, showing that all of us, even as big of a group as we are, we can't rely on ourselves. We have to rely solely on the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. Amen. So how do we
1: renew this great act of gathering i think one of the things we can do is to suppress overly uh, chummy content, uh, comments such as how y'all doing or what's up y'all or, do you love jesus tonight well, it's great <laughs> if you love Jesus. I'm I'm really glad you're loving Jesus. Right. But the focus needs to be on meeting God Himself face to face. We're not going to ask God if He loves Jesus. Of course he loves. Him. Of course God, right. the Father loves Jesus. But we need to we need to come into God's presence with humility and with the with the with the idea that we're coming into the presence of the transcendent, almighty God, the image yeah, God.
0: You touched on that so well in our our first podcast when we talked about transcendence and imminence. And uh, it actually had me thinking about, you know, so where I work, it's a university parish. So we have a lot of college students that are coming in for various things into our church itself, uh, not just the building, but, you know, actually into the sanctuary and the church itself. And so many times we're coming in and out of the church and we're just moving and we're just coming in and out and not realizing, hold on, look where you're stepping into take a minute, recognize whose house it is, genuflect, bow, give yourself the sign of the cross, allow yourself to enter into his space, not our space, right. his space, and understanding right. that it's not just another room in the building, but a mm. room where we're going into in which he dwells, which he dwells right. with us in such an imminent way. So we're, right. we're recognizing his transcendence and we're engaging his imminence.
1: Right, right. Right, we're aware of what's going on around us. We're aware of the fact that we're coming into God's presence, and quite often the church, the church environment, gives us hints of that. Maybe in the stained glass windows, if you have stained glass windows in your church, maybe the presence of an altar and a, and a pulpit—they'll—they'll they'll give you symbols of that. That we're coming into some place that's different from any other place that we right. are that we enter. It's not like a restaurant. <laughs> we're going yeah. to a gymnasium, right? Yeah, it's a completely different kind of a kind of a place. We're entering into the heavenly realm. Um, it, at, at IWS, we use bowls of, of blessed baptismal water at the, at the doors, and we encourage the students to splash some on their face, or if they, if they feel so led to use the sign of the cross with that baptismal water to remember their baptism. Their baptism, yeah, their, the, that's the primary identity of us as Christians, right? We are those who are baptized into Jesus Christ. Priest reminds. Right, that reminds us of that of that baptism. The last thing I would say is very practical: turn off your cell phones, <laughs> turn off, and don't and forget about social media for at least an hour. Just forget right. about it. <laughs> forget about about
0: texting or about or about checking your email. That's and, not. And that I'll throw of, this out there too. In addition to that, you know, if you're one of those uh, individuals, me included, so, um, I I'll play all the mass music off of a tablet or there was something like that. I also have uh, a Roman missile in the tablet that I like to follow along with the mass and the readings, but there's this fun little thing called do not disturb. And when there you go. put that on, you're not going to see any texts. You're not going to see any calls messages. So utilize technology for it's good, but do not let it distract. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. <laughs> good. Good. And this of course goes back to engaging, right? So in this idea of renewing how we're engaging and, I think the one last thing I'd want to say is, you know, this kind of comes from a musical aspect of being intentional. Are we being Mm -hmm. intentional with the hymns that we are choosing, the songs that we are choosing? Does it, does it proclaim God in an act of gathering? Does it give, so like there's a prelude, does it have any sense of what the gospel is speaking about that day or any of the Mm -hmm. readings that you're going to be keying in on? Maybe the psalm or the theme in which your services have been going in, is it keying in on something that people are going to be able to attach to and engage in? Because if that's the case, then the corporate worship, again, that whole building up together is all the more strong. So yeah, that's yep. in a nutshell, there's the gathering. <laughs> well,
1: I, I I agree with that. I also would add to that, pay attention to beauty. Yes. In the music, pay attention to beauty in this, in this space and the architecture as well. But beauty yeah of the three transcendentals the good the true and the beautiful beauty is often what hits what 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 draws you first to god right before you understand the truth or the goodness of god you often draw first by beauty so i would say pay attention to beauty the beauty of a liturgy the beauty of the spoken word the beauty of of the music the beauty of the architecture and the space
0: yeah and that that's absolutely right and i think you know this again this idea of us coming in together and recognizing this together, you know, putting that emphasis on engaging each other corporately so that we can engage God corporately is is such a beautiful thing. So focusing on the beauty of all of that is so important. And Jim, thank you. Um, this was a great conversation just about why gathering is important, I think. And again, why it's so overlooked sometimes. And I know you and I, when we get to the sending pillar, we both have a lot to say about how there could be a little bit more robust beauty in in. The, the sending aspect of God's people out into the world. So these are such important pillars and why they're called pillars of our worship. So thank you everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. And make sure, you know, to check us out on our website, iws.edu. You can check out our social media pages as well, the Institute for Worship Studies. You can search that on Facebook. Do we have an Instagram, Jim? I'm not entirely sure if... You do, yeah. I-W-S-F-L-A, I-W-S-F-L-A. Perfect. And so all, any of those social media outlets that you'll be able to find more about IWS and what our mission is, but also links to this cast and future ones and previous ones. So again, this podcast will be found in most places where you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Pocket Cast, all of that. So thank you so much for your support of this. And please feel free to get involved, reach out in any way to ask us questions and give us something to answer on the next one. We'd, we'd always love to do that. So. Thank you so much for listening and may God bless you.